0: So let us hear then God's word. Psalm 114, verse 1. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The sea saw it and fled, Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the little hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you fled? O Jordan that you turn back, O mountains that you skipped like rams, O little hills like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of waters. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Well, as we begin here today, I want you to think of someone or something that causes everyone and everything around to shake and tremble. Now, maybe you think of a character in a book or maybe a movie that you've seen, and and maybe you think of the old Godzilla movies or Darth Vader or Sauron or T-Rex in Jurassic Park or something to that effect. Um, Maybe you've been uh, in a hurricane or an earthquake And everything is shaking around you. Well, with these things in mind, we come here to this portion of the psalm, which especially emphasizes these things, that everything is responding with fear. Well, last time we began it, and we saw how central it is here initially. Uh, It's the top of this so-called pyramid of hallelujah psalms, and uh, it's... uh, Basically, the the central message, focusing here on God bringing Israel out of Egypt. Um, But it's not just these psalms that it's central. It's central also when you include Psalm 110 and Psalm 118. And that helps us especially to understand how verse 2 here in this psalm fits together. It's because our Messiah, the son of David, the priest-king in the order of Melchizedek, because he rules over all things... Okay. everybody responds in fear. But because he has come and is the chief cornerstone and has come in the name of the Lord, which we read about here just a moment ago in Luke, uh, and because he was bound to the altar as a sacrifice, God can come and dwell in our midst. Again, verse 2. And uh, we can survive God's presence with us. Our sinfulness deserves judgment. We should perish when we come into the presence of God. But instead, God dwells in our midst because Jesus took our judgment and lived a perfect life for us. Now, God is not overlooking our sin. He has provided a way for a sinful people to survive before a holy God. And so we certainly can breathe a sigh of relief. But even more than that, we stand amazed that the God of the universe would stoop down to us and lift us out of uh, the dust and the ash heap and make us a part of his family so that we can draw near to our Heavenly Father with peace and with confidence. Now, the rest of the psalm, though, is emphasizing the fear aspect Let me elaborate a little bit here on some of the broader ideas. I I think it'll be helpful to say a few things before we dive into verse 3. Usually, of course, I do it the other way around. We look at the verse first, but I think it'll be helpful in this way. Um, And notice how God has not saved the earth. In fact, he ripped it apart in the flood. He's going to totally destroy it with fire at the coming of Christ. There will be a new earth, but the earth is, can you say, a tool in God's hands? Now, certainly God cares for everything that he has made. cares for the sparrows, cares for the trees, even the land. But there's a fundamental difference between God's relationship with the created order and us. God's people stand in a fundamentally different place than the rest of the earth. And, of course, in a fundamentally different place from unbelievers. They're going to bow the knee to Christ, but it's going to be by force, not because they want to. All demonic powers grudgingly acknowledge that God is in control of things, and in the end, they're going to be cast into the pit. The corrupted world will be consumed by fire. And so you see, there's a fundamental difference between the created order and the unbelievers and the demonic powers and what God does with us. And so God redeems us, God blesses us. We are His chosen people. But uh, everything else is afraid of Him. The terrifying presence of God is really the theme here of this song. Now, Israel did shake in fear, yes. Even at the plague, some of them, we believe, affected Goshen. Some of them certainly did not. Uh, In the Exodus, there was fear. The crossing of the Red Sea, they were afraid. Mount Sinai, they were afraid. The conquest even. But, But God was with them by his grace and granted them a mediator. But in contrast, the earth is shaking in fear, and there's no mediator for them. The, the Egyptian army drowns in the sea. There's no one to stand in, in between. Uh, the ground is groaning and laboring due to the sin of Adam. There's this fundamental difference. Now again, we can't go too far. God cares for his creation. He provides for unbelievers and so forth, even the animals and so on. But again, there is a, a clear distinction between the two. Okay? We fear God but we're not afraid of God. We fear him. And, and when we come here, there should be a kind of troubling on our part. We should re- recognize that this is the God of the universe and we are wretched sinners. But of course, all of that is tempered by God's grace to us in Christ. The fear of the unbeliever though is never tempered. tempered. The created world never has a mediator. God has stooped down to lift us up, but he is above everything, and he is worthy of of all praise and honor. So with these few thoughts in mind, let's now look at verses 3 to 8, and simultaneously let's recognize this fundamental difference that we enjoy, but let's also join in with the created order which is the emphasis here, and let's shake at the presence of God. But we can do it boldly, but let's shake some nonetheless. So let's look here then at uh, my handouts and let's look now at verse three and following. It says, the sea saw, then it fled. The Jordan was turning toward the back. Now you recall from what I said last week, every verse has two lines, and in every verse, then we have some of this rhyming. Sometimes the rhyming is very, very similar. Sometimes it's more generally similar, but there's rhyming in every verse. Furthermore, in every verse, we have words in the first line that are then assumed in the next line, okay, and that that continues here. And so, obviously, here in verse three, you see how. The 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 word for sea and the word Jordan go together. You have fleeing and turning toward the back that go together. And then notice the assumed word saw in the next line. The sea saw then it fled. The Jordan saw then it was turning toward the back. So you see how uh, it's arranged in this way. Now obviously we're talking about the Red Sea. We're talking about the Jordan River. We're talking about the crossing of the Red Sea. We're talking about the crossing of the Jordan. The turning toward the back is right. The the water stopped. Right? They they went backwards. You know, and I, I was taking uh, the kids to piano lessons yesterday, and we crossed uh, the the bridge there in Franklin, and the water is just so high. And I, and I was trying to envision that water just stopping and piling up in a heap. Uh, it's truly amazing. Okay. Well. <clears throat> Notice how this then takes us back to verse 1. As I mentioned last week, we have verse 1, when Israel goes out of Egypt, and then in verse 2, we jump forward almost 500 years to God dwelling in his temple there in Judah and ruling as king there on his throne and so forth. But now we kind of come back to the proper time frame, if you will, (laughs) when they went out of Egypt. Verse 1, well, verse 3, they crossed the Red Sea, and then 40 years later, they crossed the Jordan. Let's bring in verse 4 now. The mountains skipped like rams, hills like sons of sheep. Again, notice some of the rhyming here and the assumed word skip in the next line. Uh, That word for skip, I, I think that's probably the best way to translate the word, but we still need to understand what it means. It does not mean this young kid who is just having a good time skipping down the sidewalk. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about skipping or leaping and dancing for joy. We're talking uh, the idea of writhing in pain. Uh, the word for dance can mean to writhe. Um, and so it can be this positive idea, it can be this negative idea. And here this is, is the idea. So if, if you want to paraphrase the word, you can see the mountains are writhing. Hey, they're 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 uh, trembling, you could even say now for those who would say that we should see verse four as uh, both lines saying basically the same thing, a synonymous meaning, then they would say the mountains and hills refer to the same event for those who say well though there's actually more of a difference here then they would say uh, that the mountains would refer to Mount Sinai and the hills then would refer to the conquest. So there's some difference of opinion here, but in both cases, right, everything is shaking, trembling. Let's bring in verses 5 and 6 then. What in regard to you, O sea, that you were fleeing, O Jordan, that you were turning toward the back? And then verse 6, O mountains, that you were skipping like rams, O hills, like sons of sheep obviously we have more rhyming, right? Verse 3 and verse 5 are very much the same, and then verses 4 and 6. So we have the same ideas. We have the same kind of ideas with assumed words and so on, but the biggest difference, of course, is at the beginning of verse 5. Now, literally, it says, what in regard to you? Uh, but we might paraphrase and just simply say, why? Why, O C, sea, are you fleeing? And, and then that's assumed in the next three lines. Why Jordan turning back? Why mountains are you skipping? Why hills? And so forth. Okay. So we, we move from verses 3 to 4 that you might say just give a description of it, a poetic description of, of seeing and running and skipping and so forth. But now do you see how personal it is? Hey, what in regard to you, that you were fleeing, and so on. So notice how these inanimate things are treated as people. We call this personification, right? You treat them like a person. And we do this. Hey, we do it with our, our car or some toy that we have, or we do it with our pets especially. Hey, they, they have some kind of personality, but of course we add to that, and we talk to them and pretend that they understand us and, we understand them, and some to some degree they do, but in many ways they don't. <laughs> um, and so that's what's happening here with the waters and with the hills. They're treated like a person, and so they're asked this question, Why did you do this? All right, now verse 7. Because of the presence of the Lord, tremble, O earth. Because of the presence of the God of Jacob. All right, again, you see more rhyming here, Lord and then God of Jacob go together. Uh, Note the assumption of the imperative in the first line in the next line. So uh, tremble, earth can be repeated in the next line. All right, well, the question's being answered here, isn't it? Why have you done this, verses 5 and 6? Well, it's because of God's presence. Now, your translation may use the preposition at instead of because, and they really do mean the same thing in this context. Um, I think because makes it a little bit clearer, so hence I went with that. Um, but uh, simply, why, O C. and Jordan and mountains and hills did you flee and turn back and skip? Well, it's because God was there. Now, remember what I mentioned last week. I indicated to you that God is not mentioned in the psalm until verse 7. Well, here we are. Now, yes, we have verse 2, his sanctuary, his dominions, but we don't have God mentioned by name until now. Why? Well, obviously, the psalmist here is trying to build the suspense. You know, something, obviously, is causing the created order to go nuts, right? They're responding in fear. Well, what is it? Well, now we know. It's God's presence, okay? It's not Sauron, it's not the T-Rex, you know, it's God that is causing these things to respond in this way. Now, notice also what I mentioned to you last week. It's not the name Yahweh, which in this section we would expect. In in Psalms 111 to 117, Yahweh is mentioned 39 times, but we don't have the name Yahweh in this this psalm, and that's partly why it stands out. It's put here in the middle. Uh, But even the regular name for God, Elohim, is not used here either. Now, it's only used four times in this section, and it's not used here. Instead, we have these two other names, and the first one is Lord, and the Hebrew word here is Adon. Now, we're used to Adonai, Right, we, we, uh, we think of different names, and, and Adonai is one that we hear, um, and but that means my Lord. Adon just simply means Lord, Master, Sovereign. Okay, so why is the why are the waters why are the hills responding? Because the Lord of the universe has come, and that's why they must tremble again we we tend to can you say get comfortable with God and, and there's a place for that, but this is God it, it, trembling is a is a proper response Now the next name we see here is the God of Jacob. <clears throat> now I just mentioned to you here a moment ago that this is not the normal word for God, Elohim it's actually Eloah now it's kind of a uh, in between name, if you will, between the name El, think of El Shaddai, and Elohim. Um, but the main point is, okay, it means the same thing. God, our maker, God, our creator, has come. But notice it does say the God of Jacob. And we saw the house of Jacob mentioned in verse 1. And so now everything is fitting together. The God who sent Jacob into Egypt now brings him out. But he didn't do it sitting on his throne in heaven. He actually came down to lead his people out and into the promised land. And so everything responds to its maker. And so again, if we can kind of envision these things, and, 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 and imagine God actually coming. And not God, can you say, hidden with Christ. But God in all of his magnificence coming. We would respond similarly. All right, now let's, um, if you will, put some story to these words here. Let's go back to Exodus here, first of all. And chapter 13. I just look at a few passages here that uh, obviously these verses in Psalm 114 are referencing. And uh, Exodus 13, obviously we see the, the Exodus described here and so forth, and they're coming out. And note then, especially at the end of the chapter, Exodus 13, verse 21, "...and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light." So as to go by day and night, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. He's not sitting in heaven. He has come to be with them. And if you look at chapter 14, when the uh, Egyptian army comes, note especially beginning in verse 19, it says, And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So you see how the angel of God and the pillar are are the same. And as we talked about when I preached through this several years ago, this is Christ. Christ has come to be with his people here, to lead them out of Egypt. And so then in verse 20, it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel as it was a cloud and darkness to the one and it gave light by night to the other so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into a dry land and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And of course the Egyptian army pursues and God destroys them. Now, why, O sea, did you flee? Well, in one sense, it was the wind. In one sense, it was Moses' rod. But it's also only because God was there, and the sea responded accordingly. Let's turn forward then to chapter 19. Here now Israel has come to Mount Sinai. And note, especially, beginning in verse 16. Exodus 19, verse 16, that it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked, greatly. So note again, the fear at the presence of God, the fear of the people, the fear of the mountain, it's shaking. God is there. But notice what we see in chapter 20. We see the uh, 10 commandments given, God speaks to them. And then in verse 18, it says, now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. Again, God's presence elicits fear. But there's no mediator for the mountain. There is a mediator for the people of God, and of course Moses points us to Christ. Let's turn then to Joshua chapter three. In Joshua chapter three, <clears throat> here of course is uh, Israel being led by Joshua. Now they come to the Jordan River, and beginning in verse fourteen, we have these words: Joshua three fourteen. So it was. When the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as those who bore the ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still, and rose in a heap very far away at Adam the city that is beside Zaraton. So the waters that went down into the sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. All right, well, here's our our narrative context. And uh, do you see the, the words that are repeated? You see the language of crossing, but then you also see the language... Of the priests in the ark. This repetition points us to what is most important. The reason why Israel crossed is because God was with them. Remember, the Ark of the Covenant is symbolic for the throne of God and God sitting on his throne. Now, right in, in other cultures, they would have an image of their idol as they would carry their Ark of the Covenant. Israel didn't have one because they didn't represent God, but God was there nonetheless. And so this is why the Jordan turned to the back, because God is there. All right, let's turn then to uh, Judges chapter 5. Now in Judges 5, we have here the song of Deborah and Barak. And uh, especially notice then verses 4 and 5. Judges 5, verse 4. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom... Let me pause here a moment. Hey, remember, Israel is wandering in the wilderness. They come up on the east side of the Jordan. They come from Moab, Ammon, Edom. Hey, and then they cross into the Jordan. So notice, it's Yahweh who is coming... So then what happens? The earth trembled and the heavens poured. The clouds also poured water. The mountains gushed before the Lord, this Sinai, before the Lord God of Israel. And so Sinai is no longer down south. It's, it's in Israel is the idea. But our point here is that God's presence is eliciting this kind of response. Okay. So let's come back to Joshua then. Here's where the question is. Let's turn to chapter 10. Um, As I mentioned a little bit ago, should we see mountains and hills as something different or something the same? Are we only talking about Mount Sinai or are we also talking about Canaan? In light of Judges 5 that we just read, I think we should see a difference. And notice then these words. This is Joshua 10. And notice especially verse 11. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth-horon that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Asakah and they died. There was more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Now, typically, hail is accompanied with rain. And in light of Judges 5, I think we should put all this together. There it says about the earth trembling. Here it's talking about the enemies trembling. But in both, you see, God is there. You know, it's so easy for us, because we do not see God, to forget that God is here. And He comes in special ways. And obviously, here in the Exodus and into the Promised Land, God was with His people. Let's look at one more passage here in this context, and that is in Psalm 77. There are actually uh, several places that use this kind of language that we're seeing here in Psalm 114. And here's one of them, and I picked this one because of how it ends. In Psalm 77, note then beginning in verse 16, it says, The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you. They were afraid. The depths also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The sky sent out a sound. Your arrows also flashed about. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So obviously referring to the same basic event. Now do you see what's going on here? I've just put, if you will, some meat to the bones, so to speak. Do you see that it's God's presence that causes everything to respond? God is God. He is holy. He is fearsome. He is awesome. So, hence, back here in Psalm 114, verse 7, the command tremble, O earth. Your God, your Maker, has come. Be afraid. In many ways, the most permanent thing that we know in this life is the ground on which we walk. Tremble is the command at God's presence. Now, let's bring in verse 8, and we can pull all this together. Verse 8 says, The one who transformed the rock into a pool of water, a flint to his springs of water. Now, notice, first of all, how that's not a sentence. It's flowing out of the names of God from verse 7. We're giving a fuller description, and in this case, some of what he did, this Lord, this God of Jacob. And it says here that he transformed, note the rhyming, the rock and the flint, and into a pool of water and springs of water. Note the assumed word here, the one who transformed. Um, So again, note some of the rhyming and so on there. Now, I won't have us turn to this, but you remember, of course, in Exodus chapter 17 that God gave them water. They came out of uh, Egypt. They went through the Red Sea. They came to Rephidim. There's no water. And so they cry out. They want to kill Moses. They're, They're grumbling. They're complaining. And God says to Moses, go strike the rock. And he does, and water comes. Remember also, in Numbers chapter 20, as they are wandering in the wilderness... Again, they came to a place without water and they grumble and complain. <clears throat> this time, God says, Speak to the rock. And water came out. But you remember, Moses struck the rock. And because of that, he could not go into the promised land. Why? Because in Exodus 17, God stood on the rock. And Moses struck God. And water came. You only need to strike the Messiah once. He doesn't need to die multiple times. That's why in Numbers 20, Moses is judged. Hey, that's for another time and place to develop that point. But do you see this point? The creator of the universe who came and everything is responding in fear, he's giving water. The rocks are skipping, they're quaking, now they're splitting open. But in the process, God is caring for his people. Back in verse 3, the sea is running away in fear to provide a way through for God's people on dry ground to safety. And then the same with the Jordan into the promised land. In verse 4, Mount Sinai is shaking, but Israel's receiving the law. Canaan is shaking, but God's defeating Israel's enemies. The rocks are splitting Look, God's people are getting something to drink. Do you see this twofold point? God's presence should elicit fear. This is, this is the God of the universe. But we can survive his presence. He can dwell with us, verse 2, and now some of the things we've seen in these verses... Because of our priest-king, Psalm 110, and because of our Messiah, Psalm 118, God has provided a way for us to be with him. God is on our side. He even uses the earth to help us. He even uses the wicked at times to help us. All of it is for our benefit. But nevertheless, this is God. (laughs) We can come before him with peace, but we need to recognize who he is. Let's turn a moment then to Revelation, and let's turn first to chapter 12. We have some similar ideas here. In Revelation 12, of course, we have this description of the woman and the child she bore, and then the dragon, and uh, especially look down at verse 15, Revelation 12, verse 15. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. Let me pause there. Right, that's talking about false teaching, right? So Satan is using the mainstream media to, to confuse everyone, right? We just had January 6th and all this remembered and such. I mean, there's all kinds of lies that they tell us. Okay? Well, Satan's using that, okay? Now verse 16, but the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. As the earth was helping Israel as they came out of of Egypt and into the promised land, so here the earth is helping the woman which refers to the church. Same ideas. Let's turn to chapter 16 then a moment. And uh, at the uh, end of the chapter here, the seventh bowl, yeah, let's pick up in verse eighteen, and there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake has not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of His wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. That's about 75 pounds. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Notice, they don't repent of their sins. They don't turn to God looking for salvation. No, they just yeah, crumble and complain. But you see the same language, reminding us of Mount Sinai, reminding us of the conquest, same basic ideas. But notice... There's no mediator for the earth. God's using it for the benefit of his people in the end. And so, if you return to chapter 21, we see verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no more sea. The, the, the world as we know it is going to be uh, obliterated, right? burned up, but then restored and made whole again. As you see at the end of the chapter and into chapter 22, the wicked can't be a part of this. God's people can So again, Psalm 114 is telling us two things. They're not contradictory things, but it's two things that we need to keep in mind as God's people. On the one hand, God is God, and we must tremble before him, even as the people of God. But there is a fundamental difference between us and unbelievers and us in the created order. The wicked in Egypt drown in the sea. The wicked in Babylon are destroyed. The wicked around us are going to be destroyed too. But God is with us. He is not with them. And God will use the earth to help us as he judges the wicked. They will be afraid. We will fear. There is a difference. Remember what we talked about in Psalm 112. So with, with this in mind here with Psalm 114, do you see why Israel started singing this every year at the Passover? This is such an important point. Do you see why Psalm 114 stands out at the top of this pyramid do you see why some would say that this psalm on the Exodus is the best poem about it of them all? Because our God is the true master of the universe. But we can come before him, trembling, yes, but with peace and with confidence and with boldness. This happened at the Exodus, it happened at the conquest. It's going to happen when Jesus returns. And so we, maybe we tremble and are afraid because of the wicked. But in the end, all that is going to turn around. And so even though there is not a hallelujah in this psalm, it deserves a hallelujah. And maybe the reason why it's not here is because all of it is going to come to its fruition when Jesus comes back. Remember, the only times the word hallelujah is used in the New Testament in Revelation 19 and so the connections there I think are very very deliberate so let us simultaneously tremble at God's presence but be comforted because of what he has done through Christ and so here are a few thoughts from this psalm certainly more could be said Um, let's pray as we conclude our Father and God we thank you Again, for your word, we thank you that um, you have made yourself known to us here in this way. Lord, we acknowledge that you are God. And, and, and that just is so inadequate to, to comprehend what that really means. But you are God. You are Lord you are above all things. We are nothing in comparison. And we deserve to be broken into pieces, to, to, to run and flee and so forth, like the sea and the rocks and so forth. But we are so grateful, Lord, that you do not treat us that way. But you come to us, you have come to us in Christ. Yes, in a, a pillar of cloud and fire, but also then in a baby and in a man to restore us to yourself. To provide a way for us sinners mm-hmm. not to be totally destroyed in the presence of a sinless and holy God. And so, Lord, give us a, a, an, an adequate humility before you but also, Lord, give us that boldness, that peace, that contentment, knowing that you have done this for us through Christ and that everything that happens around us in the end is going to be for our benefit because of how you love us, your people. We thank you, Lord, that you're with us even now. And we certainly look forward to that day where we will be with you in its fullness, where all wicked and all evil will be judged, where everything will be made new, and that we will be with you without any more sin in our hearts and in our lives, but that we will worship you and serve you in all of its fullness without any fear in the wrong sense, but truly fearing you as you deserve. And so, Lord, we yearn for that day, Strengthen us as we wait for it. And we pray all these things then in Jesus' name. Amen.